Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I'm here today with Greg Fasulo, CEO of Elevation. Elevation is one of the nation's largest providers of residential solar, storage, energy efficiency, and energy intelligence technology. I've had several solar development companies on the show, but there is something we haven't really talked about yet, something actively on my mind, that being the housing market, owning versus renting, how all of this goes into developing solar, and how do we actually get into a large-scale solar development infrastructure. This is where Elevation is focusing their efforts, and really the goal is to dramatically scale. So I'm going to let Greg get on the mic now and start educating us on how solar fits into the current state of housing and how understanding the housing market can help us dramatically scale solar solar penetration. So Greg, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Elevation. Hey, Joe. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me. Excited to be on the podcast today. I'm Greg Fasulo. I'm the CEO of Elevation. Elevation is one of the nation's leading deployers of residential clean energy technologies. I'll dig into that a little bit later, but uh, essentially solar storage, energy efficiency. We're unique in that we do that to individual homeowners like many others, but we also have built a platform that makes sense for large institutional landlords. So companies that own portfolios of single family rental homes, which is a growing trend in residential real estate. At the same time, our platform integrates with leading utilities and we're able to uh, provide distributed energy services um, using solar storage and just as something as simple as a smart thermostat across those portfolios. Um, I am an engineer by training. I've been in the power and electronics, software, um, and then always tangentially around clean energy for the last 30 years. Um, really passionate about how technology can transform lives and how innovation could be applied um, to better the needs of society. And I love working with I mean, talented people with creative ideas, and nothing is better right now than the world of energy. Um, for a variety of reasons, um, and maybe step back first about Elevation. Um, we are a purpose-driven company, and we're on a mission. Um, our mission is to change how people think about energy, and each of those words is important, change, think, how, um, but, but the world of energy is dramatically changing, and some of this is pretty obvious. You could see the ability to put residential solar on a house. You could have storage on the side of the house and have resiliency if the grid goes down. 
You can do things like energy efficiency and reduce your consumption, smart thermostats. Um, energy before was something that was passive. It was a bill. You pay it two, three months later. Um, really not much you could do to control energy. And then when you thought about energy, you really thought about it in the context of your own home. Well, today as energy is much broader than just your individual home. One of the main reasons is society is electrifying. And you think about the electrification of everything from your car to your house. Um, electricity is powering everything. Fossil fuels are being transitioned away from. And electricity is just so important to daily life. And unfortunately, at the same time, it's driving a massive trans- transformation of the electric grid. And the utility service is increasingly unreliable. Um, so, so we view this as a massive opportunity, deploying clean energy, dealing with the electrification of society, doing it holistically and managing the grid. And probably the last thing that's really important to us and comes into play here is equity and affordability. People don't necessarily think about their energy other than when they're paying their bill, but it's typically the second highest cost of living in a home after the mortgage or the rent itself. Um, Very important, especially with what's happening recently with the rise in energy prices, with the geopolitical issues in Europe and the weaponization of energy um, as an asset uh, in Europe. And all of this is providing uh, increased prices. Energy costs are going up faster than the rate of inflation, significant burden on families, in particular if you're lower middle income. So Elevation, we're very purpose-focused. We're on a mission to change how people think about energy. We're doing it for homeowners. We're doing it for renters that live in portfolios of single-family homes. And we're doing it for utilities. So we provide societal benefit, facilitate this transition electrification, lower costs, and, and increase reliability. I like that. Thank you for the introduction. I appreciate the the goals and the mission of Elevation, the idea of changing the way we think about energy and this large-scale rapid deployment of of solar and of of residential kind of energy infrastructure. Before we talk about that, I'm curious, where did the name Elevation come from? Yeah, look, company is really a startup. Uh, we, we Today, we're $100 million in revenue plus and we're 400 employees, but it was literally an idea of two guys um, around a, a table and they were thinking about um, energy across portfolios. And I'll, I'll step back maybe a little bit to explain that. But our founders come from residential real estate. They, they built portfolios of homes and they really established what became the single family rental industry today. It's one of the fastest growing areas of residential real estate. They left that after they took that company public and they founded a company called OfferPad, which is digitizing the home buying process and simplifying the ability to transact and sell a home, just taking on a 100-year-plus industry and uh, that, that today is not very automated. And they uh, they saw an opportunity in the, in the solar and energy space to take these technologies, which are relatively new when we started the company eight years ago, and deploy them at scale across portfolios. Elevation was just kind of a natural name that embodied what they were thinking about. It was innovation. It was around just improving the overall experience, improving um, energy usage and efficiency in the home. So, so the name represented what they were. And literally from, from two guys around a table, today we're a platform company. We're, we operate across the United States. We uh, um, have acquired a company in Austin that's our technology arm and are building a true platform. We're about 400 employees 
um, headquartered in Arizona and and serving the the rest of the country. So uh, elevation just represents who we are, the mission that we're on. And that mission, as far as I understand it, the dramatic growth, rapid deployment of of these energy technologies, and I think you're 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 pointing to it. The idea of rapid solar residential solar development is hard on a on a house by house basis. But talking about institutional investors and institutional housing companies, it seems like that's kind of where real impact can be made. Can you talk about what this idea is and and where y'all are going with that? Yeah, good good question. So uh so if you step back and look at residential solar in the United States, um, it's one of the fastest growing and and it's also the most affordable form of new electricity that a homeowner can deploy in a house. Um, penetration rates are very low, though. So even though you've got a technology that's well understood, it's easy to deploy. Um, it's got significant incentives from the federal government in the form of tax credits. Um, so the subsidizing the cost, you have net metering and get paid for putting electricity back on the grid. It makes sense for a homeowner, um, and, and, and it has significant value. Today, we're, we're still very low on our penetration rate. So, so roughly 3% of U.S. homes have solar mm-hmm. installed. Um, that adds up to about um, a tenth of a terawatt of energy today. The U.S. Department of Energy and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory estimate um, there's roughly 3 billion square meters of rooftops that's enough physical space when you look at the homes that can contribute to solar uh, to provide about a terawatt of solar capacity. So even if 10% of the homes deployed solar, we would double the amount of homes, uh, amount, the total amount of solar renewable energy that the country generates. So a significant opportunity, but you point to one of the challenges. Um, it's, it's a new technology so it's not something that's in the house necessarily when you buy it. So it's a decision and investment that you have to make. There's an education component of getting customers to buy in and, and understand that. There's an awareness then that, huh, this is easy and something I should be thinking about. Energy is easy to forget. And uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you, you pay your bill and you understand. But if you're not paying the bill, uh, there's a lot of other things going on in your life that are more important, obviously, than energy. So there's it's it's a slow penetration path. It's driven by engagement, by awareness, and companies like Elevation that are working to uh, to transition. But a unique opportunity is the single-family rental space. And today, there are about 140 million homes in the United States. About 80 million of those homes are owner-occupied. So the person who owns the house lives in the house. But there are 40 to 50 million homes today that are, are rented. Most of those renters are people like you and I who, who may have a second home and they rent it out. They're individual landlords. Um, they're not at scale. And one of the transitions over the last decade has been institutional companies. So these are big public companies like Invitation Homes or American Homes for Rent, um, and then plenty of other private companies as well. They've recognized an opportunity. Uh, people used to live in apartments. Um, but, you know, you really like to have a single story building. You'd like to have a backyard. Um, increasingly, these are becoming communities that are purpose built to be rented. And they're nice communities. They're nice homes. They're, uh, they have amenity centers. They have a pool. 
Um, people want to live in those type of communities. And institutions have recognized first that there's demand. People that uh, maybe maybe younger and can't afford a home and a mortgage, maybe they want the flexibility of moving. Um, many times it's actually people that are later in life and just want the convenience of not having to own and maintain a home and, and live in a community. So one of the fastest growing segments of residential real estate are big operators of single family homes, and they have a unique opportunity. They uh, they care about the environment. They're trying to, to uh, uh, promote their brand and show that they're good companies. They're they're an easy scapegoat or target for uh, uh, being the big institution, the the Wall Street landlord. But in reality, these are companies that are really transforming um, the way we live in America and our communities. And they've got an obligation and a responsibility to invest in clean energy technologies, other community benefits. So so we've always seen that as an opportunity at Elevation. They need a platform. The needs of a homeowner, I bought solar up on my roof, are, are different from the needs of a portfolio operator that's deploying solar, has someone deploy it for them, needs someone to manage it for them. They're thinking about the overall life cycle of that asset. And then the renter has unique needs because they didn't necessarily put the solar on that house. They may move into a solar-enabled home and we use our technology to engage that resident, help them understand the benefit they're providing, as well as the savings. And increasingly, um, helping residents lower their costs uh, is obviously important to the operators, and that's a core part of what we offer. So as you do that today, there are about 300,000 single-family rental homes, but that's the fastest-growing segment of those 140 million total homes. Some of the big um, companies are, are now actually the largest builders. In America, there's roughly a six to eight million home shortage in America today. We just don't have enough good quality, affordable housing in this country. Um, and that's, that really harkens back to the 2008, 2010 downturn um, and kind of the, the initial crash in the real estate market. We've underinvested and underbuilt um, since 2008. But these companies are driving scale. And as they drive scale, it's an opportunity if we can align our product and our value with theirs. If that value proposition is embraced by their residents, um, we've used an opportunity to dramatically scale. And to put that in perspective, yeah. a company like Elevation, um, as large as we are, one of the top 15 companies in the U.S. doing this, um, will deploy three to 4,000 homes. A typical single-family rental operator company will have 30,000, 40,000, 100,000 homes, and they all have aspirations of being much larger so while we're installing three or 4,000 homes per year today, the work that we're doing to build our platform and, and scale, we see that being able to deploy hundreds of thousands of homes a year um, as we head towards the end of the decade. Wow. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's it's all very exciting. The, it's just, it's a very large number when you think about, it. you're you're one of the larger uh solar development companies and you're saying three to four thousand homes but you are looking to to add several zeros there going from four to six digits of hundreds of thousands of homes i would imagine that there are and i, I want to talk about the consumer next and the resident next i just i want to get this idea out there that there's going to be some some growing pains associated with that i would imagine there's several different ideas floating around workforce, supply chain, maintenance of all those systems, all of these things that would lead to to bottlenecks. But you 
you're the one doing it. So what are some major bottlenecks and what are you foreseeing as you grow the size of these installations? Yeah, well, you're, you see what's happening with supply chains this year with getting materials. You see the rise, the pressure on on wages and labor and cost, um, and those those pressures are real. And we have we have a variety of challenges in this industry. One is the materials themselves. I mean, just having enough material for the panels, the uh, the, the silicon panels that convert sunlight into electricity. Um, there's a there's a real shortage of, of technology, both the semiconductor technology and the fundamental energy storage technology for batteries. So supply chains for the raw materials and the products that we install um, are a real constraint. The government has been working towards improving that. Um, the U.S. in particular, with some of the trade actions that have been taken over the past couple of years, um, we're really hurting the solar and the renewable energy industry in general. In fact, we're the only country this year before the Inflation Reduction Act and some of its incentives and before some of the there was an emergency order the uh, the Biden administration issued in June to free up some of the, the the congestion at the ports. But before that, we were the actually the only developing country or developed country um, that was forecasted to have a declining rate of solar installations this year. So there's significant challenges: the availability of materials, um, trade issues, and, and supply chains. Over time, those things tend to normalize. So if the demand is there, then uh, all of a sudden you'll have production in the U.S. and you see manufacturers producing. You'll you'll have companies that then vertically integrate through the supply chain. So they mine the materials and they can they can create the the wafers and the silicon and and there's a variety of new technologies coming, in particular in storage, that the technologies have good energy density but they're not applicable to vehicles. And, uh, and that's important because there's not enough battery capacity to, uh, to supply all the cars that are going to electrify over the next decade. But over the long term, as long as there's demand, uh, technology has a way and, and, and businesses have a way and you figure out the supply challenges. I do think over time, those will normalize and, uh, and then we'll be able to supply the demand as it increases. And then the other challenge becomes demand itself. It's how do you raise awareness of these technologies? Um, how do they become top of mind? Um, consumers, when they recognize how much they can save by having clean energy, and it's significant. Um, renters, as they recognize, I want to live in a home that provides my, my energy bill, half what my uh, somebody across the street is paying on their energy bill. These things are important. That starts driving the demand, and then demand drives supply. So Honestly, I think this industry, energy in, de- in general, technology innovation for uh, for energy, whether it's on the production side, like producing energy for solar, or it's on the storage side, or it's on the consumption side and energy efficiency side, just reducing how much energy it takes to uh, to live. Um, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a 20-year growth cycle where we're going to continue to be driven by these pain points and then have technology as a solution for those pain points. So, so I think in the short term, there's significant bottlenecks. Um, pro- probably always will be as supply is struggling to keep up with demand. But uh, it's, it, at the end of the day, a very good story and a very good industry. And, uh, and it's one of the fastest growing industries in the United States today. Yep, that it sounds like the the primary problems that we're kind of all dealing with right now as far as supply chain, market, demand, knowing when and where and how to to send out resources, it all 
kind of is also feeding into the solar industry. And I think it, when I think about power and I think about just in general, what we have seen recently, whether it's going back two years to the, the winter storm here in Texas, or whether it was maybe two or three weeks ago when everybody in California got a text saying, we don't want you to be charging all of your all of your chargeables right now because we need more power on the grid. It makes me think of the thinking about a holistic grid system. And I I think you've mentioned it a few times that 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 is one of the things that Elevation is offering that is different than the rest of the market. And I, I think what ends up making a a holistic opportunity that is a a more beneficial installation for individual homeowners. Can you talk about a little bit more how you look at, it's not just the solar, but all of those other components. How does that end up helping a homeowner with, with what we talked about earlier, understanding and thinking about their energy more? Yeah. Well, look, you touched on two really important things. Um, so the winter storm in Texas um, here you have a lack of capacity. You can you can't supply enough electricity, right? So the gas plants were frozen. Um, the, it was nighttime, so obviously there's no solar. Unfortunately, your wind capacity in Texas was also unavailable, and there was nothing you could do to reduce the consumption in the homes. And in Texas, about a third of the grid demand is residential demand. At night, you're using electric. If you're using electricity for heat, that's a significant demand on the grid. But those homes are also using lights and other other electronics. So, so there was demand on the consumer side, and there wasn't enough supply. Um, if you could address that and reduce the demand, you could balance supply. You wouldn't have had to have the uh, rolling blackouts and, and the, the scale of that outage. In California, look at what they had to do last week. We're, uh, we're going to text you and ask you to stop using electricity. I mean, how, how crazy is that that you have to use an emergency texting service to people's phones and then hope that they first, they see it and they know what to do. And then they take action. They they're in the car, they get the text, they drive home and they change their thermostat temperature. Um, just imagine if you could reach in and you could automate that and, and you could do it in a way where it balances comfort um, across all of the homes and the utility footprint um, in a way where you now have control. The utilities call that virtual capacity. So essentially, you'll hear about virtual power plants rather than build a 40 megawatt power plant. Let's use software and create a virtual 40 megawatt power plant. And that's what Elevation does with our curb energy technology. We uh, we have a sensor in the home. We have software in the cloud. And then we can connect to devices in the home, whether it's the, um, the large loads like your air conditioner in the afternoon or it's your heating in the wintertime. And we've shown that in different geographies in Arizona. We did a very large pilot where we demonstrated a 40 megawatt virtual power plant in the afternoons in the summer. Um, we won a Department of Energy grant participating with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory on the East Coast with Duke Energy. And uh, in that example, we were actually looking at wintertime load where it's, it's the middle of the winter and it's heating as the main culprit. But essentially what we do with Curve is we can integrate all these different technologies. So with cloud software, you can connect to distributed solar panels. You can connect to batteries that are at homes. Um, increasingly, cars will become part of the solution, electric vehicles, because the electric vehicle is a huge battery that's available and it can be charged 
from the grid or it can actually charge the home or charge the grid. You can go both directions. So as those technologies come into play, what's missing is the software that can pull all that together. And that's the heart of our curb software, the ability to, to look across a portfolio of customers. Um, it doesn't have to be elevation solar panels on the roof. Um, it actually doesn't have to have curb in that home as long as there's cloud-to-cloud connections. And we've built a range of partnerships with leaders in the distributed energy resource space and with leading utilities. And as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the grant and the project we're working on, which is called Connected Communities with the Department of Energy. Our long-term view is by doing all those things, this virtual capacity um, becomes a significant resource on the grid. And one last statistic I'll share. So here in Arizona, our home state, um, when you look at the grid projections over the next 15 years, in order to match supply and demand, the utilities today have about 500 megawatts of capacity available for virtual, um, virtual power plants. By 2035, they need to find three gigawatts of virtual capacity. You could do that, and sometimes it's in large uh, in industrial or commercial buildings. They tend to have automation systems, and they're easier to control. But you're not going to be able to get there without touching residential demand, which is very difficult because individual residences, it's hard to, uh, to connect over time. And by engaging residents with CURB, we, people, people put our CURB device in. They understand their energy. They're connected. We drive engagement, and but when you have engaged residents, you now have a resource that you can shift. So, it's there's there's significant problems with the grid. I think ultimately, what will drive the most solar adoption and clean energy adoption is going to be the utilities. To, today, they're they're reluctant. They're they're conservative businesses. The, uh, the their business models are being impacted negatively by by people producing their own energy. So uh, so they're not quite there yet culturally or, or from, a, from a partnership standpoint. But that's something that Elevation is really excited about and something that we drive very actively. That's interesting to, to think about. And I think it, it makes sense on the, on the end user scale and getting that buy-in. And as you point out, the, but the, the scaling of all of that to industrial scale, I think that is what sounds like you need buy-in from utilities and institutional investors because I'm I'm working on a, a project right now in an area and and in oil and gas. If you are building a lease, you are lucky if you have maybe five or six people that you have to go and sign the leases with. Whereas some areas that I've seen you've got 40 or 50 people who in order to put together a section, you have 50 different mineral owners that you have to go and talk to. So I I can see the value there as you're talking to the institutional homeowners and building that out versus and utilities versus going one house at a time. What you're talking about utilities as needing to do that buying. Can you talk about that a little bit more? What do you mean by that? And what exactly is the difference in in viewpoint between, say, the utility and and a consumer or a institutional investor owning a million homes? Yeah, so and we, we kind of look at it at three tiers. So so we look at homeowners, you're selling them one at a time and they're making a decision. So one home at a time. 
when you're talking to portfolio operators, a typical portfolio operator in a, in a large geography where they have significant scale, thousand to ten thousand homes, so, so thousands of homes at a time, and then the utility obviously connects everybody in, in a geography. So in a metroplex, they they have millions or or, or, or tens of millions, perhaps, of, of people that they're touching um, directly. So homeowners one at a time, institutional operators thousands at a time, utilities millions at a time. And the the value proposition is different. It's much more personal for a homeowner. What's in it for me? What's my savings? When you get to a portfolio operator, they're thinking holistically about their portfolio, their their distributed base of residents, um, um, et cetera. They they they're they're looking at operating that portfolio and efficiencies, et cetera. So it's a little bit different value proposition for them. But they are public companies, many of them, and they're they're focused on profitability offering a very affordable product, a, an attractive product at an attractive price. And to do that, they've got to drive efficiencies, just like any large company would do. The utilities are the are the, the longest cycle and the hardest to get to adopt. Because if you think about it, at the end of the day, utilities don't have to innovate. Um, depending on if it's a deregulated or a regulated market, it's a little bit different. But they're mandated by public utility commissions for the most part of what they can do. They've got very conservative 50-year business plans when they build a, a nuclear plant or a coal-fired plant or or even if they're building a gas-fired peaker plant. And they, they think in very long cycles, and they're also not very good and not very nimble at adapting to uh, disruption. And what's happening with clean energy, what's happening with electrification, and what's happening now that consumers can literally generate electricity at their house and put it back on the grid, um, it's disrupting 50-year business models in, in five or 10 years. I mean, the amount of solar that we've deployed over the last 10 years, we're, we're increasing at roughly 30% every year. Um, we've deployed as much solar in the last three years as we did the prior decade. We'll deploy as much solar in the next year as we did in the last three years because you start getting an exponential curve. So eventually, the utilities aren't going to have a choice. Um, they're going to have massive problems on their grid, they're going to need cost-effective ways of, of solving those. They provide massive scale, obviously, because they touch every single person that is in a, a, a certain physical geography. So, so they're the large opportunity, but they're going to be the slowest to adopt. Um, and and some of them will have to come along kicking and screaming because it's just it's not something they want to do. I think you, I think you saw in California this year that the utilities and even the Public Utility Commission kind of ganged up and. We're trying to force away all the net metering rules, which is the export um, tariff, or the, the dollars you get for putting energy back on the grid, which is a significant part of the financial value proposition for the homeowner. Um, really short-sighted, honestly, but they're doing that as a protective way of uh, uh, protecting their monopoly and, and uh, um, their financial models. Those, those things can happen in the short term, but, but uh, long term, look, what's happening in society Climate change um, is real and it's becoming increasingly um, more dire when you look at everything that's happening. And I, I think that trend is going to continue. You look at droughts, you look at storms, you look at all the downside of, of, of what, what increasing temperatures and the climate are going to do. And very difficult to turn that around. Um, very difficult, honestly, even just to slow it. So, so there's going to be more and more pressure to accelerate the green energy transition. And as that transition happens, the easiest and most affordable way, um, at least for homes, 
in the U.S. is residential solar. So more and more distributed generation, and then more and more distributed generation creates more and more problems for the utilities. Um, so th- the pain points keep ratcheting up to the point where the, then even if you're you're culturally biased against finding a solution, there's just you, you can't you can't block change and you can't block the reality of where the world is heading. So so I think ultimately the the, the utilities provide tremendous scale. They're the they're the big nut to crack. And once once the utilities are on board, that that look, we've got to figure out how to adopt new technology. We got to rapidly transform our business models. Um, now you've got access to millions of subscribers. So elevation's part in all this. Um, many companies selling to homeowners, and we're one of the largest. I mentioned earlier, taking it to the next level through these portfolios, which are adopting because they see benefit. And financial and, and, and commercial benefit for their businesses. Ultimately, by having that scale, we can now bring solutions to utilities and, and they will be on board. I mean, so some of the leading utilities around the country have already adopted clean energy strategies and, and doing that more holistically for their business rather than being forced to. So it's a matter of time, but we're not there yet. We've, we've got a lot of work to do. And, and as I mentioned, less than 3% of the homes in the United States are deployed with solar today. It's a massive opportunity if you just get 10% deployed, and we'll get there. It's just a matter of time. Yep, I think so. I think that's that's absolutely correct. We we just need time to get there. One thing that, as you were talking, I was thinking about is that I can understand the utility standpoint and their viewpoint when you're talking about individual consumers and each one of them making their own decisions on when and where and how they're going to use their electricity and also who's going to generate electricity and what they're going to do with it, if you will. But then from elevation standpoint or the idea of a a virtual power plant, if you start combining and building up, say, a 50 megawatt pool of power that that may be 100 people or 200 people, but they've all given you specific metrics on what you can and can't do with that power. And you have something that you can now think about and you can control with a little bit more regularity than 200 individual minds. I could definitely see the benefit there of you get to talk to one person versus all 200, and then you get to try and plan based on that. Yeah, make it makes sense, and also from an infrastructure standpoint. So, so on our virtual power plant I mentioned in Arizona, we partnered with one of the large um, single-family rental operating companies, and they had roughly ten thousand homes in the Phoenix area. Those homes already had a smart automation system. So, one of the things we were able to do is is just through the cloud reach in and adjust temperatures in the thermostat in that home and, and operate that home um, remotely. So so by by partnering with somebody who has portfolio, you also get um, a technology platform that you could apply at scale. And that was a real unique aspect of that pilot. We, had, we didn't actually go to any of those homes and do anything. Um, now we did work with the resident. The resident saved on average 30 to $40 a month on their electric bill by participating in the program. It, you, you change the temperature on the thermostat here in Arizona. It's hot, so you could you could adjust a couple of degrees for a short period of time, and people typically don't uh, um, doesn't impact comfort, so they they doesn't they don't mind it. But if they did, they could opt out, et cetera. And there's there's obviously a percentage of people that did. 
but uh, the portfolios provide a, a variety of benefits. Some of it's getting people to sign up. Some of it's they've got existing portfolios that are technology enabled. Um, and you can, as long as you've got software and you've got all the, the, the interconnects working with the utilities and, and that home automation system, you can very quickly stand up available capacity. So that was, that was, that was what was very unique about that, that pilot. Yep. One quick question. If there is somebody who has a individual solar array on their house, they've got this residential solar, how would they go about trying to get into one of these virtual power plants or how do they, how do they add into the benefit for, for themselves and for others by getting some of these other tools and technologies? Yeah, over time they'll be more uh, more available. Most utilities today already have um, thermostat programs. So if you have a smart thermostat that's Wi-Fi connected, you can opt in to summertime programs. Those those are becoming increasingly common. Um, you don't have to have solar on the house to do that. Any, any home, any apartment will qualify. Um, if if a resident is interested in technology on, on, on their home and, and utility programs, they they should check with their utility. Utility probably has a website. You can go there. Um, there's probably things they're not aware of too. There's there's incentives for basic energy efficiency upgrades, so simple things like insulation and duct sealing in a home. There are incentives to uh, to go to higher efficiency air conditioners, um, and all of those are beneficial for the user. You get a more comfortable house and you, you lower your electric bill. And then they're typically being subsidized uh, by the Public Utility Commission, sometimes by the state or federal government, to encourage um, conservation and energy efficiency. So I would check with your utility first on what the available programs are. You could always go to the website of Elevation or, or a similar company. And if you're in one of our service footprints, any of interest, um, that's something we could talk to consumers about. And, and, and there are others that do this as well. Great. Well, thank you for that information. With that, I want to jump into our final questions. These are the ones I ask all of my guests. The first one being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? Funny. Uh, you know, I, I tend to like business books. I, I view businesses and teams and cultures as, as something that's really fascinating to me. They, they remind me of good sports teams. So, so the classic ones like uh, Jim Collins with Good to Great, um, the one that's a little bit newer with the uh, traction by Gino Wickman. Um, these are both kind of books around culture and business performance. But there's actually one that, it, that I'm reading right now that I find really interesting. It's called Empathy in Action. Uh, it's by a fellow whose name's Tony Bates and uh, Natalie Potoff. Um, and it's all around how you take um, the employee experience and the customer experience and you build your business processes around that. And in doing so, you build a superior company. I, I think it's a uh, it's an interesting book to me because it's a newer way of thinking about business. Um, Jim Collins in the past was around metrics and culture and vision and dynamic leadership. Um, today, it's much more around how do you empower individuals and, and with millennials and with younger people in the workforce, how do you align with their values and their vision and uh, and get them online with shared values? So, so it's Empathy in Action. It's a great book. I'd recommend it. That sounds like a really great book and I will definitely add it to the list. The next question, when will we be net zero as a society? 
think that's I think that's a way off. Um, I think in the next fifty years we'll we'll transition towards net zero. To some degree, it depends um, how effective we are at slowing the pace of climate change. I don't think we'll be a hundred percent at net zero. I know um, here in Arizona, one of the large public utilities. Had a, had, a, had a mission to get to net zero, and they 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 essentially softened it from a, from a mission to an objective to to ultimately they don't really talk about it at the moment. So so, so I think um, fossil fuels will play a part. I think clean energy will play a part. I think technology around consumption reduction, so reducing how how we use energy, will play a part. Things like LED light bulbs made a dramatic impact on lighting. We rarely talk about lighting anymore as a uh, as an area for, for for control or automation, so so I think in the next fifty years we'll, we'll 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 gradually move towards net zero. My personal belief is that climate change will continue to accelerate because we're not making enough progress and we haven't made enough progress over the last two decades, um, and that will create a more more of a sense of urgency. And ultimately, it won't be mandates from from policy and from um, from government that drive this. It's going to be demand from consumers and individuals. It's going to be business ultimately that and technology that solve the problem. So, so I think we will eventually get to the point we've slowed climate change and and potentially even reversed it. Um, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, and uh, it's going to be a long time until we're really net zero. Hmm. Yeah, I think it it is one of those interesting things to think about as far as timeline and when and how things happen. And I completely agree with the consumer sentiment that it is going to be consumer driven when massive change starts to occur, because anything that anything that relies on the government timeline, you are you're at a potential full stop every four years. And that makes it very difficult. So it but when a consumer is saying I'm done buying your product until you're net zero. I think that will that will get people motivated or get companies motivated. So it's it's an interesting thing to think about. Now yeah, the I, last, look, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, look at the, our country was founded on that, right? So uh, put the power in the hands of the people, and the people will drive the the right direction. Take it away from the the big institutions. So so you're spot on, and, and look, determination, um, American grit. Um, and technology. I mean, technology has the ability to solve so many problems. So, so I think ch- change will come, and there's a there's a bright outlook for society and for humanity. Um, there's there's always adversity. I just think in the next next few decades, we're going to go through increasing levels of adversity until we figure out figure out our way forward. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So now the last question. You actually get to ask me a question. Good, good, good one. Um, so, so your perspective, you, you've talked to other people that are doing clean energy and solar. Um, where do you see the biggest opportunity for our industry? How, how, do, how do we uh, play? What, what part should we play to accelerate demand, um, to, to accelerate the, the, the pace of change on climate? What, when you see the industry from an outside perspective, what, what should we be doing better? That is a a good question, and it is a very relevant one because recently, for those of us that that are in Texas, you would have seen the storms that came through in mid March, 
we, my, my wife and I, we actually had to get our roof replaced because of that storm and, and past storms. And so we were talking to the roofer about solar panels. And now that we're getting a new roof is now the right time to get solar panels, this and that, and, and this long conversation. And, and he laid out a few things that I've never been able to get a, an answer from individual companies about. And I think he made a really good point from the individual perspective that it's still one of those things that if you plan on moving even in five years or sometimes even in 10 years, there is a, it becomes more of a hassle if you have those solar panels on your house for selling your house. And right now with the housing market where it is and, and with people moving on average every seven to 10 years, I think that becomes a, it becomes a sticking point because if you don't know if that's your forever home, then why would you make an investment into the solar panels if it, if it doesn't pay off or if there's not a, not a clear, if it, if there's not a clear benefit in the end, I guess in the end of that house for you. And that's yeah. it, well. It's, it's what we were talking about earlier, right? So, so people aren't necessarily going to buy pay more for a house and prefer to live in a house that uh, that has solar on it. If you're living in a state like Texas, which has relatively low penetration, mm-hmm. if you lived in California and you were in a house that had solar on it, and you saw how low your electric bill is, um, and then you bought moved to another house, you actually would have a preference whether you're renting or or, or buying to live in a house with solar. I'll actually tell you, though, too, the uh, the way the tax incentives work, if you have to replace your roof in order to put the solar on there, so while you're replacing your roof, that's actually a very attractive time to add solar because you can you can apply, um, you, you could also get tax credits on the cost of preparing the house, essentially, to put solar in. So there's some mm-hmm. financial incentives the government provides to, to incentivize people while they're doing that to put in solar. Your payback in Texas, with the, especially your electric rates, have gone up dramatically this year. Five years ago, he was probably right. Um, today, your payback is probably five to seven years. Um, and then you get the incentive of, of subsidizing a portion of the cost of replacing that roof. So uh, mm. you, if you haven't made a decision on it yet, you may want to revisit. Yeah, it depends on how far out they are, I guess, in scheduling. But yeah, so those are the things that it really understanding that benefit to the consumer is is not as i think is not as clear and that's it's not as clear good, good in areas back. like here where you don't have where you don't have as much penetration whereas in California I would I would agree I would imagine that there would be a premium and an understanding of the value yeah, so. I, I look. I, I was touched on it earlier. Where a good good feedback. I appreciate that feedback on the industry. I guess we have to keep working on awareness and education, and that look on a, a new market. That's just critical. So, mm-hmm. so good to hear. Yep, yep. Well, you're welcome, and thank you, Greg, for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say? No, I, look, Joe. I appreciate the conversation. I'd like to thank you for your time and. Uh, um, thanks for doing this and, and promoting clean energy and energy technology. I think it's critically important. So thank you. Well, thanks again, Greg. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. 
please do me a favor. Give me a five-star rating. Leave a review. Doing these two simple actions will will help these stories reach a wider audience. And if you want to hear more great stories from the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.